Please, uh, uh, to Ephesians in chapter 6, and as you're doing that, uh, let me pray. Uh, Father in heaven, um, your word is a means of grace to us. It's a means of grace to us because as we read it and meditate upon it, uh, it works in us truth, the very truth of Christ. And as we come to know and believe, trust in this word, your grace floods us uh, that we may that we may live. And so I pray that would be the case for us this morning, uh, that your grace would flood us as we read and think upon your word and as we come to your table this morning. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians in chapter 6, I just want to read the closing benediction, verses 23 and 24. Ephesians in chapter 6. This is the word of the Lord. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And then together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Um, we're at the end of the Ephesians. And, um, and, and always, I suppose, I don't know about you, but when I'm reading an article or reading even a book or, or, or reading a novel or reading a letter, um, I'm often very impatient. And so I often read the end. I know I probably shouldn't do that, but I just want to see where it's going. I read the beginning, I read the end, and then I fill in the middle if I think it's worthy. But, but then, um, but just reading a biblical letter, you should begin to wonder, how's he going to close this? How's he going to come to the end? And very often in, in any sort of letter, or even when we see each other and say goodbye, we, we wish one another in some sense farewell. That, that, just that expression means, I hope it fares well with you. I uh, hope your life from this point on fares well. So we bid each other farewell. But Paul, in his letters, when he comes to the end, he, he does more than that because these endings of his letters, especially here in Ephesians, give this sense of benediction. And we know what a benediction is, I trust, especially in the life of our church, that a benediction is a good word, benediction to speak. And it's a good word and it's pronounced upon the people of God. You might remember that the tradition of benediction comes from the Old Testament, from Numbers chapter 6. And in Numbers chapter 6, Moses is instructed to tell Aaron and the other priests to pronounce a blessing upon the people of God. And that blessing is known to us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And that's a benediction. It's not a prayer. It's a pronouncement. It's really a conveyance by a priest upon the people of God. So he speaks on behalf of God to convey this blessing to them. They're to receive it. So much so that in Numbers chapter 6 verse 27, God says to, to Moses, that he's to let Aaron know this, that... This benediction is God putting his name on his people. 
That is, in this benediction, it's a conveyance, if you will, of the name of God upon his people. You're my people. It's like giving him, giving us a, a new last name. <laughs> you know, we belong to God. Uh, and, uh, and, and so this name is essentially his, his character. You remember, it was a time, what was it, Exodus 30-ish. Um, I hadn't thought about saying this. That's why I'm not quite prepared. But in, 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 in Exodus, I want to say 34, uh, but I could be wrong. But in, in that particular chapter, you know, Moses wants to see the glory of God. And so he says, you can't see me face to face, you know, frontal, if you will. And so he hides him in the cleft of the rock. And, and then he lets his glory go before him. And what does he do? He pronounces his name. That's who I am. That's my glory. I pronounce my name. And so when his name is upon us, God is with us. And that's why he says you'll have peace. That, that he makes his face to shine upon us. That's God being with us. That his countenance upon us. That God is with us. And so there's this sense at the end of Paul's letters that he wants to pronounce this benediction. He wants to convey this blessing Upon them, So it's more than just a goodbye. It's more than just a farewell. It is a wish. It is a desire. And in some sense, it's prayer. But it's more than that. He's conveying uh, this blessing, uh, you see, upon God. And notice what it is. He says, peace to the brothers, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus. And so he's, he's, he's using words that... Uh, over the last year, we've been together through Ephesians, and these words should really mean something to us. Peace, love, faith, grace. I mean, if you're going to walk yourself through Ephesians, that would be a, a, good, a good outline. And there's a sense in which we already know these. These are already true of us. Um, he begins by talking about peace, and, and we know this peace in chapter 2. In verse 14, um, we read this. He says, for he himself, that is Christ, he himself is our peace. And so because of Christ, through Christ, Christ, we have peace. We have peace with God, as this passage will tell us very clearly. And we have peace with other believers. You see, that's the sense of wholeness. What it really means to be the human beings that God created us to be. To have peace with him And peace, if you will, with others. Peace on earth. We know that is what is to come in the new heavens and the new earth. Right? We know that's what it was to be with Adam and Eve, but wasn't because of sin. And that sin then estranged us from God and from each other. Estranged us from God because of our rebellion and God's holiness. And also from each other because of our pride and our selfishness. That grew into that, you see. We all wanted to live, be our own little kings of our own little kingdoms. And when we have that kind of things, there'll be a clash of kingdoms uh, with people. And so there's no peace with God and no peace with each other. But because of Jesus, you see, he brings peace. Why? Because he reconciles us to God because he deals with our sin. And thus God is no longer hostile against us. He no longer has a case against us. Uh, the penalty for our sin has been paid. And as he works in us by his spirit to give us new life, then he removes our hostility, our rebellion against God causes us to see what God has done and to, to really then trust and to love him. And then not only that, because he's united each of us to God, who is our father. Now we find ourselves being part of a whole family of people for whom God is father. And so then he unites us together. So he says, we have this, this peace. Christ himself is our peace. 
Not only that, um, we realize that uh, we are loved and we are to love. Uh, we realize the very love of God to us. In fact, in, in, in chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 4, he says that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Another, He so loved us in such a way that he adopted us into his family. He loves us like that. And, and he saves us. Uh, the salvation that, that comes from the very, very heart of God, the very source of of our salvation is the love of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, after it's, we read this as our responsive reading after the confession time, but uh, we know our, our sinfulness. And then in verse 4, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. That kind of love, you see, that's the kind of love that, that God has for us. He demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he says this love for believers is already yours, already towards you, you see, his love to us. And then we're to love each other. Uh, He loves us and we love him. We're to love each other as well. And so Paul points this out in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, For this reason, because I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. You see, the peace that we have with God is the result of his love for us. The peace that we have with God results in peace with each other and love for each other as well. So he says, he says, you already have this. I see it in you. It's already true because you're believers. You have peace with God and each other. You know his love and you are to love each other. And he says this love, peace with love, is with faith. Our faith unites us to God. He's talked about faith over and over again, particularly in chapter 2 and verse 8. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works that's, that no one may boast. And so, so we know this faith, we, we have it, and it unites us with God. And because it unites us with Christ and thus reconciles us to God, thus brings peace, and we know the love of God, it also thus means we're united to each other and we're to love God and to love each other uh, as well. Uh, and grace. Uh, we know the grace of God. He begins and um, speaks to us about all of the blessings that we have come because of the grace of God. In verse 5 of Ephesians 1, it said, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Then verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. All that he does for us in Christ, he does to the praise of his glorious grace. It's the result of his grace. And then in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And even as I read about our salvation, it's by grace that we've been saved. So, so Paul says, you already have all of these things. So, so why does he bless them at the end by saying, peace be with you and, 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 and love with faith be with you and grace be with you? Why, why does he say all that? Well, because he's saying what, 
But I want your lives to be is filled with peace. Increasing measures, a deepening of your understanding of it, of your walk in it, of your love, of your faith, and of the grace that God will give to you, that he'll continue to give to you all of these. Now, there's two parts to this benediction. Um, I love benedictions, you know that. I mean, I, I can't always, I know it takes me a long time to get to them at the end of these letters, but I really, once I get there, uh, I'm excited to, uh, to, to be there. But two parts of this benediction, uh, two addresses, really. He says, he says, peace be to the brothers, verse 23. And then he says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus. Now, he's not talking about two different kinds, two different people, two different groups, but he's just addressing them differently. And uh, there's probably a purpose uh, to that uh, as well. Now notice he says, peace be to the brothers. Now when he uses the word brothers, he doesn't just mean men. This is a generic brothers. It means you've got a, an ESV version out of which I read. It'll have a footnote probably that says brothers and sisters. But you know that in Ephesians, in this letter, he's, he's addressing men and women who are believers. He's also addressing children in the context of the life of the church. And so he's, he's saying, now, this is my desire for all of you. This is the blessing of God to you. Peace to the brothers. And then he said, and, and, and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, okay, the source of this Peace, the source of this love with faith, is God. It's not you. It begins with him. He's the one who makes it. Just as we said, you have this. So I want you to realize and remember that it's, this, all of this is from God. He makes the peace in Christ. Christ is our peace. We're not our own peace, if you will. Christ is our peace. And, it's, and, and why do we love? Well, you know what First John chapter 4, verse 19 says? We love... Why? Because he first loved us. And so all of the source of this, the origination of this, is God's, not ours. And and we get that. We know that it has to be originated from him because we are sinners. And sinners means that we run from God as opposed to run to him. Sinners mean that we're selfish there and prideful. Uh, Therefore, we, we don't love others even as we ought to love them. And so the source of all of this has to begin with God because It can't begin with us because of our sinfulness. God, you see, must uh, do something. That's why Jesus talks about being born again in John chapter 3. He said, in order to see the kingdom of God, we must be born again. Something must happen to us. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we'll get to this in a little bit, uh, Moses says we have to be circumcised on our hearts. God has to do a work in us. That's why Jeremiah talks about the new covenant coming, saying it's got to be a work in our hearts. He has to write his laws upon our hearts and minds, you see. That's why Ezekiel says that God has to take out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. All of that, you see, needs to be a work in us. When Jesus said he was eyes to see, ears to hear, he meant that we don't, that we have to be given eyes to see and ears to hear so that we can know this peace so that we can know this love so that we can live in peace so that we can love. All this is from God through Christ. He's the originator of it. 
were the responders. He's the originator uh, of all of that, uh, you see. Um, it's no small thing at all. It's no small thing at all that we are to live in peace and to wear love with faith. So the question is, well, who do we love in verse 23? Is this love for God or is this love for others? And the answer, of course, is yes. Right? Uh, it originates. God loves us. We love him. And because of that, then we love others. Probably because he's addressing the brothers. He's saying, I want you to live at peace with one another. And I want you to love each other. Because you remember how Paul puts it in Galatians Chapter 5, verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, that is, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So love with faith is very likely to be that very faith that connects us to God to bring us to salvation, works its way out in our lives as we see it in love to each other. And, And Paul's been after that all through this whole letter uh, to the church uh, in in Ephesus, that we're to love one another and to love like and to love like that. And again, it's no small thing to love each other. I mean, Paul uh, prays. Notice how he puts it in verse fifteen of chapter one. He says, "For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you." In other words. If you want to make the Apostle Paul really happy and you want him and you want him to really pray with great thanksgiving, what does he need to see? What he needs to see is that Christians are really loving each other. That makes him happy. He says, I never cease giving thanks. Why? Because I noticed how much you love each other. And he says that in, in, in other letters, um, in other letters as well, uh, in uh, Colossians and chapter 1 verse 3 says we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love that you have for all the saints now why does he thank God for that faith and love he thanks God for it because he knows it's a gift from God he knows that God's the one who's originated he doesn't give them thanks for it to say well thank you for doing this he says I'm giving God thanks because this is what I see and I'm giving God thanks because this is what I see because this is what God has wrought in you. This is what God has done in your, in your, in your lives. So, so that's the first part of this benediction. But I, really what captures me is the second part of it. Where he says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love uh, incorruptible. What he's saying is, I want you to, to know grace upon grace and upon grace and upon grace. I want your life to be characterized by this increasing awareness of grace, that this increasing gift of grace to you. I don't ever want it to stop. You need grace tomorrow, just like you did yesterday. You need grace in a year, just like you needed the grace to come to faith in the first place. So you need to, this is to characterize your life you need God's strengthening grace, his sustaining grace, his empowering grace, you see? His persevering grace. You need his grace all the time. So Paul's saying, this is important. So grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. See, and that surprises me. I would have expected him to say, grace 
be with all the brothers. Or grace be with all those who have faith in Jesus. But for some reason, he jumps ahead, it seems ahead to me, and says those who love him, not just those who believe in him, those who trust him. Now we get the sense that there's this inseparable relationship between faith and love. See, if we trust him, if we believe in him, we must also love him. Those go together, uh, hand in hand. Um, J.C. Ryle, an Anglican um, bishop from the 19th century, I'll quote him if I think about it in a minute, um, at more at length, has a wonderful piece in a little book, not a little book, a big book, called Holiness. You ever see anything by J.C. Ryle? Read it, okay? But uh, this book, Holiness, it's still in print, um, is a wonderful sermon about Jesus confronting Peter, the end of the Gospel of John, uh, after Jesus has resurrected. And Jesus has that question for Peter, do you love me? So this, as you might imagine, this sermon is entitled, Lovest Thou Me? And in there he says that, that our faith is inseparably tied to, related to, uh, love, love for Christ. For instance, um, turn back. I've got a Bible with you quickly, but I'll read this to Matthew in chapter 10, verse 37. This is from Jesus. He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, Jesus says, to love me more than these closest human relationships. In fact, you're to love me more than these closest human relationships in which you've been commanded to love. It isn't that you aren't to love your father, your mother, or your children, but you're to love me in a sense more. And he says, if not, you're not worthy of me. And by that, he doesn't mean you haven't earned my love. What he's saying is, I'm worth it. I'm worthy of that kind of love. If you love me with any less love than that, then it's a love that isn't worthy of me, you see. There's a love that's worthy of our spouse. There's a love that's worthy of our children. There's a love that's worthy of our parents. If we don't love our parents or our spouses or our children in particular ways, uh, then one could say, oh, that love that you have isn't worthy of that relationship. And so this is the relationship that we have with Christ. And he says, you need to understand that the love for me is greater than all other loves could be. In fact, he puts it in a different way, almost in an alarming, even offensive way, in Luke, in chapter 14. He puts it like this. Verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, 
He can't be my disciple. Now, Jesus is obviously speaking in, in these grandiose, exaggerated terms to make a point. Because we know that we're not supposed to hate our father and mother and our wife and children and brothers and sisters and even our lives. We know it's hate in the sense of, of despise and not love at all. He says, no, but in comparison with how you love me, your love for me should be such that when you think of anyone else, it should look like hate to them, you see. Because you'll forsake everything and anything and anyone even for me. Now, we love our parents, we love our children, <clears throat> we love our spouses. Why? Because it pleases Jesus that we love them. Not because it's our idea, not because we think it's right, not because it feels good to us, not because it makes sense to us. I hope all that's true. But we ultimately do it out of love for him because he is our Lord he makes the relationships what they are. We don't. Does that make sense? So that's the sense. That's how important it is that we that we love uh, that we love Jesus. Uh, and then this one in John chapter eight and verse thirty-two. I'm sorry, verse forty-two. Jesus is with. Uh, the religious leaders, and they're talking to him about the fact that Abraham is their father and God is their father. And they say in the end of verse 41 to Jesus, we have one father, even God. Notice what Jesus says to them, verse 42. He says, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. He says, if you love God, you love me, love me. And then I'll just skip through some others and notice how Paul puts it. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 16, verse 22. He says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, that is for the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. <laughs> Cuts to the chase. So loving Jesus, you see, loving Jesus is important. You can say, well, how, how can that be? Well, because he's God. What's the great commandment? We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's exactly what Jesus has been saying about himself. If you're going to love me with all your heart, that is, I'm the ultimate affection. With all your soul, your very life, your mind, all of your thoughts, with your strength, all that you are and all that you do, then he's saying that you'll love me more than all the rest no matter how close they are, no matter how much you love them, to love me like, to love me like that. And you can say, well, how can God command an affection, such command and affection of love? I mean, you can really command somebody to love? And the answer is yes, of course. If it's, if it's a proper affection, if it's a proper emotion, then the Lord can command it. And this love that we're to have for God, this love that we're to have for Christ in particular, is love that's reasonable. In fact, not to love is sin. It would be the height of injustice not to love him. It would be unworthy of him if we do not love him because he's supremely lovable. There's nothing about him that isn't Lovable, everything about him 
should produce in us love, you see, for him. And notice that the commandments are related to our to, to love. Uh, what's the greatest commandment? It's the greatest commandment that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that obeying the commandments is synonymous with loving God because loving God comes first. We love and then our obedience is the expression of our love. Do you remember in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Again, he's not saying that obeying my commandments is synonymous with loving me. They go hand in hand. But something comes first. If you love me, then our obedience is an expression of our love. So Jesus could relate all the commandments to love. If you love God, well, of course, then everything is summed up in these commandments. Why? Because your obedience is an expression of your love. Why is that? It's an expression of our love because when you love, your desire is to please the other. And so the question is, how do we please God whom we love? Well, we do it by obeying him. Here are the things that make him happy. Here are the things that please him. Well, what pleases him? He says, first and foremost, you should have no other gods before me. If you're going to love your spouse, you must forsake all others. That would please him. That would please her. If you don't do that, he or she will be displeased with you. If there's another who has your affections in the same way or more than he or she does, you see. And so when we love God, then it's very natural, you see, to forsake all others. And that's exactly what he says in the first commandments. Have no other gods before me. And and then if we're going to really please him, then we must really love him. Not our imagination of him, not our thoughts of who we ought to be. You know, when you have an infatuation with another person, you don't really love them. You love who you think they are, who you want them to be, or who they present themselves to be at the moment. But it's just an infatuation. You don't really know them. You don't really love them yet. You have to know them and love who they are. God says the same for me. Don't make any images of me. Don't think up what I'm supposed to look like and make a picture of me or make a graven image of me and think, that's me, that's not me. You need to worship me as I Really am. Don't take my name in vain. That is my name, my character, my person, who I am. Honor me. Hallow my name. If you really love me, then you'll honor me. You'll defend my honor. You'll live to honor me. Same way, in a, in a love relationship we may have with our spouse or our children, well, we honor them. How do we do that? Well, we don't take their name in vain. That is, their person. We respect them. We love them. We honor them. We defend them. God says, that's true for me. That's love in the height of it, you see. And, and then, have a day, my Sabbath. And what's he saying there? He's saying, well, your love will show itself in your trust. You'll trust me. You won't work for a day. And you'll say, I don't need to. 
Because God is sovereign over all things and God will provide for me and I can rest. I can rest in him. So I trust him. See, that, that's, that's how you love me. You see, that's how you, that's how you please me. Now, it's the means through which we come to love God. Well, John lays it out in his first epistle. I mentioned a few moments ago in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us, you see. We love because he first loved us. And then in verse 10, now this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, when we see that, when we see it, when we see the love that he has for us, we see what Christ has done, our eyes are open, and we really see it. How can we not love this one who has so loved us? started to think about how this could be related to how we fall in love with people, with another person. And then I realized that's way too complicated. <laughs> but it must be something like this. There must be an admirable characteristic of the other person that captivates us, that, that we see in them that causes us in some sense to admire them, to, to, be, to notice them. Sadly, often it's physical. And then we realize, well, I got to get past that. Although that's some aspect of love. So, so what is there? And I begin to think that when a person casts that attribute upon us, that captivating attribute upon us, it captures us. And, and that's the thing about God, you see. What captures us is that he has loved us. In Christ. And what does that look like? Well, he gave himself for us. He gave himself for us. That we might have exactly what we need. Forgiveness of sins and life. And so it's that you see when we see it. That's to captivate us. We love because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. We love others because he first loved us. And enabled us to. But we love him because he first loved us. Why? Because we see it. We see this love, if you will. That he has, uh, that he has for us, this means of his his love to us. Um, but notice, this love is to be incorruptible. It says, "Grace be to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible." What's he mean by that? But I'll be honest with you; it's a difficult bit of translation. If you go to commentators, you'll find it's difficult to know what that little expression simply means imperishable, incorruptible, immortal, even eternal. It's that sense of what's to come, you see. And it's difficult to know, do we link that with the grace that's incorruptible? So we know it will work in us perfectly. Or Jesus, who's incorruptible, and we know that his promises will always be fulfilled. Or is it our love that's to be incorruptible. It's a difficult question. We make a great final exam on a Greek uh, seminary uh, test, though there wouldn't be any right answer. 
It's a difficult one. Most translations translated as we have it here link it to our love that is to be incorruptible, which simply means that the love that we have for him now is to be like the love that will be true for all of eternity. And this love, you see, is to be, we're to sustain it. We're to sustain it. Turn to where? Matthew. Chapter 24 and verse 12. This is a passage where Jesus is talking about the end times and uh, his return. Verse 9 says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And, when, uh, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead them astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. See, it's, we're to endure to the end, to continue to love him. And he says, listen, here's what's going to happen. There'll be tribulation. And it could be that some of you will be put to death that you'll be hated by many nations. Some will betray you. Jesus knew that all too well. There'll be false prophets that arise. Don't listen to them. If you love me, you won't listen to them. Do you wonder, remember, when Jesus was with Peter after his resurrection, remember Peter had denied Jesus three times, so Jesus comes to Jesus and three times he asks him, do you love me? And and he says, I'm going to restore you. I want you to minister to the brothers. But he also tells Peter something else. He says, when the end of your life comes, they're going to lead you away. And essentially, they're going to turn you upside down and crucify you. What will enable Peter to leave that conversation and say, I'm going to go do that? Well, it could be just duty, I suppose. But duty only lasts so long. But love. And so he says to Peter, do you love me? And the Lord Jesus says to us, do you love me? That's the only thing that's going to sustain this. It's the only thing that's going to sustain you through a debilitating illness. It's the only thing that's going to going to sustain you through loneliness. It's the only thing that's going to sustain you through Life's problems. Do you love me? Trust me, love me. And that will indeed sustain you. So this love that we have, you see, it needs to be incorruptible. And we say, well, how could that be? And Paul says, well, if you love him, grace be upon you. So that you can love him. (laughs) And as you love him, you'll be a recipient of grace. And as you're a recipient of grace, you will love him. And as you love him, you'll be a recipient of grace. Ah, That's why you need his grace. So Paul says, I want to pronounce this upon you. Grace be upon you. So how does this grace come? Well, first it comes, we know through his word. His word is a means of grace. In fact, in most of Paul's letters, you can trace this out, except for the book of Romans, it's not as clear. But in all of Paul's other letters, I'll commend you to read the first few verses and the last few verses. And what you'll find, as we find in Ephesians, is that he be- begins his letters by saying, 
grace and peace be with you. And he ends them by saying, no, he's saying, grace and peace be to you. And then at the end, he says, grace be with you. Oh, why does he do that? Well, he, he does because he's, this is, as we begin this letter, this is the purpose. The purpose of this letter is to bring grace and peace to you. And at the end of the letter, now that you've read the word, I want this grace to go with you. Why? Because this word is a means of that grace. Ephesians is a means of that grace. Because you see, he tells us how we've been loved by God through Christ. He says, you've been chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Wow. Justified. He's going to count you holy and blameless in his sight because of Christ. In love, he's adopted you. He's brought you into his family. He's redeemed you. He loved you so much, he paid the ultimate price for you that you would be his, you see. And that the power of sin would be broken and its penalty be taken away. And your sins are forgiven. And he sealed you with his spirit so that you have a down payment, if you will. God says, I'm good for it. I've given you my spirit. So I don't give my spirit unless I'm good for it. So I'm good for all of my promises. And it's by grace you've been saved, you see, not by your own works. So, so we read that and it, it should give us grace to what? To love him. No, that prayer is a, a means of grace. Paul uses it, you see, as he tells them all that is true about them. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love towards all the saints, I don't cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints what are the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? He says, so you see, praise. We should pray, you see, that our eyes would be open, that we'd see it. We'd see all that Christ has done for us so that we could love him. That's how his grace comes to us. And then you remember, don't you? This is one of those situations in the life of Jesus that has been in my head and I trust my heart since I was a little kid. I... I just listened to it with Jesus at Simon's house. And you just, you just feel the self-righteousness of Simon as this woman comes in to wash the feet of Jesus with her tears and to put this ointment upon him. And you just feel it. You can see Simon saying, she shouldn't be here, especially she shouldn't be around my house and she shouldn't be touching this man. If he was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman she is. And then Jesus comes and says, Simon, let me ask you a question. Let me tell you a story and ask you a question. The story is, there, there's, a, there, there's a, two debtors and one owes a little and one owes a lot. And they're both forgiven. Who loves more? Well, the one who gets it, the one who knows they've been forgiven so much. So we come to this table and we realize how much we've been forgiven. The night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks. He broke it and he gave this to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. Again, after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many. For the forgiveness of sins, do this in remembrance of me. 
Apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death. Until he comes, what are we declaring? Well, at least this. We've been forgiven much. And we should declare then, thus, we love much grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love that's incorruptible. Let's pray. Father, how can we not love you? Lord Jesus, how can we not love you? Forgive us when we've loved anyone, anything more than you because you're worthy of this love that's in its own category. Enable us as we come to this table to see how much we have been forgiven. Enable us to see the great love with which you have loved us and work in us that we may love you. Please take this bread, take this juice, set it apart so that we know that we're in the presence of this one who has loved us. And this we pray. In Jesus' name.